Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. Yeah, wasn't worship awesome? Come on, that was amazing. Hey, we're in the series that we've been in this summer on, on Galatians. Now, Galatians is a part of the Bible that was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul had one word that he's trying to convey to us, one word he's trying to get us to live in, and that is the word freedom. Let's all say freedom together. Freedom. You know, and when Paul wrote this, he actually wrote it as a letter to a church that he had planted. And so what they would have done in Paul's day when he wrote this letter, they would have taken it and they would have stood up in front of the congregation, in front of the people on a Sunday morning, and they would have read it out loud. So that's what we've been doing over the course of this series is every Sunday, whatever chapter we're teaching through, whatever part of that letter we're looking at, we've read the whole chapter out loud. And so we're going to do that again today. I'm going to invite Svenja Finnig to come up and join me on stage. Let's give it up for Svenja. Svenja is in our leadership development program. Svenja has, uh, she grew up at Stone Creek, was in our kids' ministry, went to our student ministry, survived Sean Curry. How'd you do that? I don't know. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I, just, I just thought of this, Sean. Uh, a little side note. This is the last time you'll be in here as a single man. Sean, Sean is getting married next week. Uh, next Sunday. So that's awesome. Excited for you guys. Now let me see if I can reel it back in. Um, and Savinia grew up in our church, our student ministry. Now she's part of our leadership development program. This is one of the reasons I love our church so much is because we continue to have kids that love church. They love Jesus and they just want to serve him. And so Svenja is going to read for us today. Yeah, good morning. I get to read Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 20 with you guys this morning. Um, so starting off in verse 1, it says... I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Isn't that so good? Why don't we celebrate the word? Awesome. Thank you so much, Fenya. Let's pray together. 
Hey, God, thanks that you uh, don't call us slaves, but call us sons, Lord, that we would just understand what it means to walk in freedom, God, that we would see freedom the way you see it, Lord, and God, that we would be unchained and unshackled from whatever it is that holds us back, God. Thank you for your word that it never returns void, that it has the power to transform our lives and our hearts. And we just pray today it reveals so much more about the love that Jesus has for us. And it's in his name that we pray, and everybody said amen. Awesome. So, so as, as I said, in this, in this book of Galatians, this one word, freedom, is what comes up. And listen, we're a people that believe in freedom. We just spent a whole weekend celebrating it last week, right? Anybody go do some fireworks for July the 4th? Come on. Any, anybody lose a limb or a, a digit, right? Um, you know, we celebrate it because we are the land of the free, aren't we? We love freedom. We think about freedom. And man, when we're kids, we want to grow up and have freedom. So think about this. When you're 15, you want to be 16 so you can drive. And the freedom that that brings, come on a student, right? You want to be 16. Some of you are scared to drive. I realize that. It will be okay. Um, if, when you're 17, you want to be 18 so you can vote. And then when you're 18, you're technically an adult, so you can actually move out of the house and be responsible for your own bills. That's pretty awesome and pretty freeing. When you're 20, you want to be 21 so you can do something when you're 21. I really don't know what that is. Um, and then when you get to be an adult, you're free. You're, you're free to take out a six or seven digit mortgage to move into a neighborhood where they're going to tell you what color to paint your house, how to manicure your lawn, and if your pine straw gets too gray, you better replace it. Sounds like freedom to me, doesn't it to you? You're free to buy a car that puts you at the whim of the global economy every time you go to the gas pump and it affects your wallet. Oh, but then you can go electric because that's really freeing. All you have to do is worry if you're going over the limit and you can get to a charging station in time. Like, that's freeing. Oh, and then there's that... Then there's that supercomputer we get to keep in our pocket. Like, that's freeing, isn't it? We can look up whatever information we want. And then if you leave it at home, what happens? Have you ever left your phone at home? Anybody ever accidentally left your phone at home? What happened? Was it freeing? No, it was panic, sheer terror, right? See, we think we have this idea of freedom. And maybe, just maybe, the type of freedom that Paul is talking about, we don't really understand it. Man, we don't really know how to grasp it. Why is it if, our, if we are so free that we lead the world in anxiety and stress and conflict and frustration, that, that things, our political system seems to be out of control, people are at odds with each other, but we're, but we're free. Maybe, just maybe, we misunderstand what it means to be truly free. And so what Paul's going to point out today is you live as either a slave or you live as a son. You live as a slave or you live as an heir to the most high God. And we get to choose how we live. And when you're an heir, guess what? Your past begins to make sense. You have the strength for your present to be able to live the life of joy and humility and patience and kindness and fullness and purpose that you want. And then you get to look to a better future. Like, doesn't that sound like freedom? So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4 today. Galatians chapter 4. Now, as you turn to Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to, I'm going to back up for just a little context in Galatians chapter 3. Just to define a few terms, they're going to be very important for us to understand all that Paul is writing and wants us to understand about freedom today. So I'm actually going to start in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. And so Paul is kind of setting the stage for what he wants to talk about between slaves and heirs. And so he says this, So then the law 
was our guardian until Christ came. So what, what Paul is saying is the law, the rules, um, the, it was the guardian. It was like a tutor. It was like guardrails. It was like a signpost pointing like towards Jesus, pointing the way for us until Christ came. And then it says, in order that we might be justified by faith, and that's in Jesus, 25 says that the faith has come. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We don't need the law to show us Jesus. We have Jesus himself. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You are all sons of God through faith. And then verse 27 says, for as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, so three terms in there that we need to understand that I think kind of paints the picture for us to, to really get the impact and the importance of this idea of freedom. The first word is the word law. Let's say that together. Law. The law that comes down. That, and, and what Paul is writing in the law and that in the Jewish context he's writing, first of all, it's the Ten Commandments. You may remember those. Um, the, Moses got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. He got them in a tablet. And it's the things like don't kill, um, don't root for the falcons, don't, don't murder, those kind of things that aren't good for you. Just kidding. And so you have the law, but then they, they added a lot of laws. Okay. They added a lot of laws. And what began to happen is people began to go through the motions of following the law and thinking that made them right with God. And the law was only intended to point us to Christ. You see, laws have no ability to tra- change our heart, do they? And they can't transform us. They can't make us want to do something. See, standards of behavior are powerless to save, but they point to Christ. So the laws are good, but they're insufficient for what we need, and they're never supposed to be worshipped as God. So you have law, and Paul's going to talk about how we we tend to try to follow the law and think that we got it right. Now, the second word I want to talk about is this word son, because it's really important for us to get that, especially um, in light of Paul's teaching today. There's two ways to look at the word son. Number one is you can look at son as a male child. We get that. You have a male child, it is a son. The other way to look at son is as an heir. Sons in that culture, sons got the inheritance. When dad was ready, he gave them the business, he gave them the house, he gave them the car, he gave them the Rolex, he gave them the bank account. The son got the inheritance. So what Paul is doing is game-changing because what he's saying is everyone can be a son, an heir to God. So he, he says that all of us, meaning men and women, male and female, can get the inheritance. So what Paul has done is in a culture that devalued women, women couldn't vote, they couldn't testify in court, Paul has equated them and equalized them with men. So don't let anybody ever tell you that Christianity oppresses women. Listen, nobody has done more for females than Jesus himself. Amen, somebody? Right? He is just elevated. So now, when you hear son, as I'm reading it, don't think male child. Think getting the inheritance. Like You get some of the inheritance. Now, the third word um, that we need to understand is the idea of slavery in this. So we, we have uh, you know, a history of slavery, and the way that we understand slavery is through the American history. And a lot of time, it's race-driven, and it's despicable, and it's evil, and it's horrible. It's a blight on our country's um, history. Now, there was some of that in the Roman world, but even expanded beyond that type of slavery in the Roman world would be more like an indentured servant. So let's say you wanted to start a business or buy something. You wanted to start a business. So someone would lend you money, but you didn't have any collateral. So what you would do is you would agree that if the business went under, that you would work for that person and you would give them all your income, everything you you made, and you would be enslaved to them until that debt was paid off. 
And so slightly different than being uh, oppressed and abused, even though that was part of it. So 90% of the people that Paul was writing to were in that type of slavery. They, they understood what it meant to owe somebody. They understood what it meant to have to follow the rules, to have to pay somebody back. And the big point of that is slaves have owners, heirs have dads. Slaves have owners, heirs have dads. Now, with that as kind of the, the backdrop of where we are, let's look, in, let's look in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes this. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he owns everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So Paul starts talking out about the heir, the son, the child, still follows the same pattern as a slave simply because kids need direction. Have you ever heard the phrase, did your parents ever say this to you, you should be seen and not heard? You remember that? Hey, you should be seen and not heard. Children should be seen and not heard. Does anybody tell your kids that today, these days? You should. Write that down, please. You know, kids need direction. And in, in Paul's day, kids would never leave the house without someone to go along with them to help point them in the right direction, teach them the things they need to do. Because why? They're not mature enough. So they, in, in the same way that slaves get direction, children need direction. And that's where the law comes in. The law is just this idea. We're going to tell you exactly what to do. And you're just like a slave. Now, it says we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So what is that? Like, what are, what are the elementary principles, just so we can be sure we know what we're talking about? Now, Paul, when he uses elementary, it's kind of the idea of an alphabet. So when you learn to read, what's the first thing you learn? You learn the letters of the alphabet. Did y'all learn them in a song, by the way? A, B, C, D. Is that the way you learned them? Yeah, so did I. Actually, I came out of the womb knowing them. But, um, and then, but you can't read. You just know the alphabet. Okay? Elementary. Elementary. Then you put it together to some words, and you can know some words, but maybe you don't put them in a sentence yet. And then eventually you can put them in a sentence and make them have meaning. So the elementary principles is kind of like just having the alphabet without knowing how to, to bring meaning to them and seeing this is what the gospel does. It brings meaning. But so many times we just hang on to the elementary principles. And so the elementary principles for a Jew is the laws. They just followed the laws. They didn't think about God as being a dad, God as being relational. They just knew the laws and the rules they had to follow. There was ten, uh, the Ten Commandments, and then there was hundreds of other laws that they went through. There was ritual laws. There was ceremonial laws. I mean, they had laws for laws, so they didn't break the laws. And so everybody just followed the laws, and the laws became God. Now, in verse 10, Paul kind of outlines what some of those were. In verse 10, it says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Days, months, seasons, and years. So they observed days. They went, they went to the synagogue on, on the Sabbath, right? Because that's what you do if you're religious. They knew the seasons. There were different, uh, there was a different liturgical calendar. There were different rituals and rites that went through in different seasons and days and years. And they showed up for all of them. Yet they were missing God in the middle of this. It, it, was just, it was as if Paul was saying, you guys are living in the kiddie pool these days. Like, you, you need to grow up. It would be like you, we go down to Will's Park and we have a pool party and everybody's in the pool except you. You're sitting under the fountain with your floaties on, a mask and a snorkel. That would be ridiculous and not a lot of fun. 
And so Paul is saying you need to graduate from just following the rules. And guess what? We do the same thing. It just looks different. I don't know how you grew up and what tradition you were in, but, but I know that in my tradition there were certain things that we did that were the rules, that were the elementary principles. How about this one? How you dress to go to church. Anybody have to dress up to go to church? Terrence, come on. You know what I'm talking about. Like, had to, had to dress up to go to church. Now, is there anything wrong with dressing up? No, absolutely not. But when it became a requirement to get in the door, that's a problem. That was a big one. Hey, you know another big one? Alcohol. Like, I grew up Baptist. Alcohol was off limits. I'd meet my Catholic friends at school. They'd be like, how in the world did you make it through Mass without drinking, son? Like, I don't know. It was rough. We just smoked weed instead. I'm kidding. Jokes. That one's illegal. It's clearly not part of the conversation. So alcohol became, I'm going to have to reel y'all in from that. So alcohol became part of this rules you could and you couldn't do. And now alcohol is so trendy, you know, you get expensive bottles of bourbon as a gift. Now, now here's a problem with that. You swing from one pendulum to the other and you get over here and what happens? You become a slave again. And so we're going to talk about that next week. You don't want to miss it. Maybe we have our rules. We have our days that we show up, the things that we do. We start our 501c3. We, uh, you know, vote the right way. We get in the right political party and we think that's what Christians do. Paul's like, no, 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 no. You missed the point. Get out of the kiddie pool. Get out of the shallow water, Paul says. You're just like a kid. Have you ever noticed how kids always want to get in the deep end? Man, they always like, I just want to get beyond the rope. I just want to get over there and play. I just want to get over there and play sharks and minnows. I just want to get there and play Marco, right? You know, you wanted to get in the deep end too. And what happens when you get to be an adult? Like, I want to go back to the shallow end where I can just walk around and drink my beer, man. Like, <laughs> this is a lot of work in the deep end. Man, and we give up challenge and we try to settle for comfort. We don't grow. We just try to go through the motions. And Paul's like, hey, you need to learn how to adult. You need to learn how to adult. And in verse 4, he gives us the lessons on adulting. Anybody ever have any college kids you had to teach how to adult? They get out and they call you back. They're like, they turned my water off. What happened? I'm like, did you pay the bill? What bill? Welcome to adulting, son. (laughs) You know, adulting is responsibility, but guess what? It's also freedom. It's also freedom. Um, As we look in verse 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So he says, when the fullness of time had come, God has sent his son. You see, God sent his son so that we could be heirs with him. And what happens when we try to follow the rules and follow the laws? We tend to feel like God owes us and we're not in the family. Like, here's a little test to, to see if you think God owes you and you're living as a slave. When something bad happens, things don't go your way. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about you know, missing uh, the red light, the green light. Like when, when you have a difficult in t- difficulty in life and you ask God, God, why did that happen to me? God, God I, I was doing these things that are good things. Like, why did, you, why did you do that to me? Or when we look at someone else and say, why did God do that to them? 
We, we feel like if we're good enough and do the right things and God's obligated to us, just like a genie in a bottle that we can ask for whatever we want. Let me ask you, as you examine your heart, man, why, why, should, why should God be obligated to you? Like if you had to think through the things that you do to make God happy, why and, and make him obligated to you, why do you think God should be obligated to you? See, God's not obligated to us. He, he sent his son for us so that we could be sons. It says in the fullness of of time is when Jesus came. God sent forth his son for us. Now the word for fullness of time is just this idea of maturity. He was ready to receive the inheritance. So, so the heir, however old he was, when the father looked at him and said, you're ready. You can take the business. You can take the, 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 the bank accounts. You can take whatever is yours, and you can take it. You didn't have to wait till the dad died. The dad got to decide when they were ready. Now, we struggle with this in our culture because we don't know when anybody's an adult, do we? Like, is it, is it 16 when they can drive, or is it 18, or is it 21? Like, we don't, we don't really know. In Paul's culture, they weren't, they weren't restricted by an age. They were restricted by maturity. And when they were ready... And so when they were ready, it says, you became an heir. And we're ready now because Jesus showed up, because God decided, the father decided, our dad decided that it was time. That Jesus came and says he was born under the law, meaning that he had to fulfill the law. He had to go through everything that we were under in the law, and he fulfilled it perfectly. He fulfilled the obligation that we couldn't fulfill because we can't. For whatever reason, we, we can't seem to get it right. Have you, ever, have you ever been like, you know, I wanted to do that, but I didn't do it? I thought I was going to get up early, but I didn't because I stayed up too late. Man I, I, man, I didn't want to say that in that situation. I didn't want to get angry right there, but my filter didn't work. So many times we can't seem to get it right. Jesus was perfect. Like, can you imagine? He was perfect. Like never lied to his mom. Never got angry out of, out of uh, never got unrighteously anger, only righteously anger. Like never said anything he regretted saying, Hello. Jesus was perfect, and he fulfilled the law. And when we find ourselves in Christ, that's how we become a son. That's how we become an heir. Since it came to redeem those who were under the law. Now, I love this idea because, again, think about it. He's, he's writing to a, a, a nation, a city, a church full of slaves. Redeem was a word they would have known because it meant to buy back out of. So if someone were to come along to one of those slaves, they could buy them out of slavery. And this is the word that Paul is using, something that would connect it right to their heart. And then the outcome of that redemption is so glorious, it's almost hard to talk about. Adoption. Man, have you known anybody that's adopted somebody? Like, they are the heroes of the world, in my opinion. Like, when I see you, I'm like, I am not worthy. Because you change generations when you adopt somebody, don't you? You would change generations when you adopt people. You know, I'm reminded of stories all the time about, about adoptions. And I, I was recently thinking about this one. Back in the late 60s, there was a little girl. Her name in the nursery was Nancy. And this family adopted her. And then, you know, they, they got her at six weeks and they brought her into their home. And they loved her and cared for her and took her to church. She began to follow Jesus. And then she <clears throat> got to go to some really good schools and she was, you know, in the junior high back in that day, you know, she was the queen of the junior high. And then in high school, she was on the drill team. And then she went to college and got to graduate from college, the first one in her immediate family that graduated from college. And then she got married and had kids. And she had four kids. 
And they're all grown and they're all adults now. You know, one of them lives in St. Petersburg and just had her own daughter. So now Nancy has gone from her generation to her daughter's generation to a third generation that has been changed because her parents adopted her. And she has a son that lives, that is a nurse. And she has another son that lives in Charleston who has a, who has a baby. So there you are with that third generation. And then she has a son who lives in Nashville. Now, the reason why I love this story so much is because Nancy is actually Debbie, who's actually my wife. Um, yeah, and so because her parents adopted her, literally generations have been changed. And that's what happens when you get adopted. And this is what happens when God adopts us. Our generations changed. One thing I love about adop- adoption is when I talk to adoptive parents, they'll say, they'll tell their kids when they, when they tell them they're adopted, they'll be like, yeah, all those other kids, they just had to deal with the parents they got. We picked you. <laughs> and I love that. And God picked you. God picked me, God picked you, God picked every one of us to be adopted into the family, to be an heir to the inheritance that he wants to give us. We have been adopted into the family. Why would we choose to live as slaves? We have a new identity. We have a new name. We have a new foundation. We have a new inheritance. Man, we're either a slave or we're an heir, depending on how we see God, depending on how we see God. You know, heirs, as I said earlier, heirs have dads. Now, there's this phrase that's used here, and we see it in the Bible a few other times. It's called Abba, Father. Now, sometimes when, when we see that, we may only think in terms of an affectionate name like Daddy. But it's actually so much more than that. Yes, it's an affectionate name, but it also carries honor and respect. You know, if you, if you have a dad that's, worthy of, uh, that's a good dad, he's worthy of honor and he's worthy of respect. Just, just like our dad. You know, there's sometimes a dad needs to go play and roll around in the front yard with his kids. There's sometimes he needs to sit them down and tell them what's right and what's wrong. And there's sometimes when they need to walk in and say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Because he needs to have honor and respect. And I know in a, when you start talking about dads, there's a lot of different experience in fatherhood around this, in this room. You know, for some people, you had a great dad. For some, it wasn't so great. And for some, it may be somewhere in between. And it affects how you see your heavenly father. But you got to know that that's different. Man, that fatherhood has been woven into the soul of the universe. And that's because God is a good father, worthy of honor, worthy of respect, and worthy of obedience, and worthy of affection. Yeah. Come on, man. Think about how it's woven into our hearts. Like if you're at a sporting event, you watch, watch kids. They're looking up in the stands. And I'm not minimizing motherhood. My gosh, what a hard job. But they look up. Where do they generally look up? Where's the dad see that? Little girls come running out in a little dress. You see me, dad? Like there's something about that that's woven into the soul of the universe. And we know statistics on fatherlessness. 90% of youth, 90% of teenagers that are in um, some type of detention center are fatherless. 60% of suicides in teenagers happen in fatherless homes. Now, now, if you're a single mom, you may feel a little defeated right now. And by no means am I trying to do that. What I am trying to do is highlight the need for our, all of our kids to have spiritual fathers, to have a heavenly father. And listen, if you find yourself as a single mom, first of all, I can say my mom pretty much raised me by herself. So I get that. Second thing I would say is I know hundreds of people who are raised by single moms, and they're amazing. 
is by no means a warrant to failure. But what I would say is your kids, if they see you love God as your heavenly father, they will love him as their heavenly father. And that's how you can overcome some of that. Clearly, you should get some other guys in in their lives. There's plenty of men here who are worthy of that, who have that kind of character that you would want people to be around. You would want your kids around. Man, if you love God like your heavenly father, your kids are going to be fine. They're going to be fine. So we know that God is a heavenly father. And we see God the way Jesus sees God. Here's where we see Jesus make this shift, especially for the Jewish religion, but for us as well. Now, in the Old Testament, how many people know what the Old Testament is, by the way, just as a show of hands? Okay, the Old Testament is what happened before Jesus was born. Uh, If you don't know, like before Jesus was born, the Old Testament is the history of God's people. So in the Old Testament, which covers several thousand years, the word father is used 19 times. Like, not a lot, 19 times. Now, when Jesus comes along in the short span of his life, which was 33 years, only about three of which is actually written about, the word, he uses the word father 165 times. So it seems like father is not just a way to see God. It is the way to see God. Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross over in the book of Luke, chapter 23, Jesus has seven different sayings, he says, while he's being executed and murdered on the cross. It says, and then in Luke chapter 23, um, verse 30, 34, it says this, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So he uses the term Father to address God in that difficult moment. And then in verse 46, it says this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus even ends his life by referring to who? His heavenly Father. Listen, that, that's who we have. And those, the people in Paul's church, they're like, we didn't know there was a God like that. A God who would pick us. A God who would buy us, redeem us, set us free. There is a God like that. And so Paul's like, yes, there is. And he doesn't want them to go back to thinking any other way about God. Now, now if, if we are heirs, right, that means there's an inheritance. And I could spend a whole series talking about our inheritance. But let me just give you a couple of snapshots, a couple of clues into what the inheritance is that we have. You know, in Psalm chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their wine and grain abound. Right? So first of all, we, the big part, the, the number one uh, gift that we get in the inheritance is God himself. Like, we get God. And it says here that there is more joy in, in our heart than when, wine and, when, than when grain and wine abound. It reminds me a little bit, you remember as a kid when you'd be outside playing and you'd hear the ice cream truck coming? Anybody remember that? Lose your mind. Ice cream! Right? We're going to get some ice cream unless it was that creepy guy who had that thumb hanging from his rearview mirror. But man, we just get so excited, so much joy, so much passion. Well, what about this? Let's say it's your birthday and you get, to have, you get to throw yourself a birthday party and you go down to your favorite restaurant. It's 20 or 30 or 150 of your closest friends. And you rent a room and, man, they're, as soon as you walk in the room, they're just bringing out food and they're, they bring the wine, they bring the appetizer, they bring the main meal. And you're just enjoying, celebrating you and having so much fun, talking to your friends, telling stories, right? He's saying God is better than that. Amen right there? Listen, God is better than that is what, is what Paul is saying in psalmist is saying right there over in in psalm chapter 73 we see that um, the psalmist writes this who have i in heaven but you 
There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. Listen, when you're down, when things happen to you, and they will, it causes trouble and pain and hardship. When you get confused and need clarity, guess who's going to still be there? God is going to be there. How do we know? Jesus rose from the dead. Like, it gets no better than that. He came and redeemed us and bought us and gave us adoption as heirs in the family of God. And then I thought of this one as, as we were worshiping. I didn't actually have plans to read it, but over in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it says this, and I love this, man. It says, a guy named John's writing this. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So he's getting this vision for the inheritance that we get when it's all said and done. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth passed away. The sea was no more. Then he goes and says this. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Hey, no more ambulances, no more hearses, no more funeral homes, no more embalming, no more emergency rooms, no more ICUs. Death will be no more, it says. It says, neither shall there be mourning nor crying. Hey, man, there's no more bad news. There's no more anxious stomach. There's no more stress that just cripples our body. There's no more growing old and all the pains that we get from that, right? No more mourning, no crying, no pain anymore for the former things that passed away. And it says this, the one who's seated on the throne, the king himself says, behold, I am making all things new. Like that's the inheritance that's promised us. When you get the idea, yeah. That Jesus, man, that Jesus came for us to give us and adopt us as sons. It changes how you see your future. Man, it just gives you a new hope to live in. And we're just not thrown around by the whims of what other people think about us. You know, I think my wife and I think about this when our kids come home. Because we have adult kids now, as I just said. And, you know, we like to think we're the king and queen of the house. Well, we are. We don't think that. And, and, and when the kids come over, man, they, they get the riches of the king and queen, don't they? Because that's what God does for us. And and some of you have small kids right now, and you think when your kids get older, it's going to be cheaper. Wrong. (laughs) But we are just like, you know what? What's ours is yours. So they'll walk in my closet, and they'll get some of my clothes, because I got such cool clothes that 20-somethings really want to wear. Literally this morning, I go into my closet to put my belt on. I couldn't find it. I'm like, it's probably in Charleston or Nashville, because one of my kids took it. Man, they come in, they can eat whatever, they can drink whatever expensive bottle that someone's given me. They, they get what the king has. I don't do that for them. I do that to remind me that that's how God treats me. Amen? Man, yeah. That's how God treats me. That's the kind of riches and the inheritance that are set for me. Now, now, as we close out, just in these last few verses of this particular passage, you know what it means when a pastor says, as we close out? You know what that means? Nothing. <laughs> Formerly, verse 8, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now, oh, that's, that's, that's key. There was a way you thought about God. There was a way that you learned about God. There was a way you tried to follow God. But now... Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how could you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? How can you turn back when you have tasted the freedom that God offers? It says that here we're known by God. Now that that can be the most exciting or the scariest statement you've ever heard. We're known by 
God. Because for a lot of us, man, when we think about being known, it's like, oh, you don't, if you only knew, if you knew what I thought, if you knew what I did, if you knew my judgmentalism, and if you knew my addiction, if you knew what happened in the dark places in my mind and my house, you'd reject me. And so what we do is we build a life so that people don't see. And we build a facade and we build this scaffolding around our life so that people will think good of us when deep down we really don't want them to know who we are. And what happens is and that's, we, we end up rejecting God when that happens. And we don't just block out other people. We actually block out God. But listen, God already knows. And he doesn't want to use what he knows to judge you but to save you, to leverage your life for him. It's called grace. God marks it out. And you can't mark it out if you don't if you don't admit it and become honest with him. Listen, there are times that we're chained to so much in the past because we're trying to look like we got it together. You know, it could be it could be your chain to money today. It could be your chain to a house and something that makes you look good. It could be your chain to your reputation, what other people think of you. Because most of us in here are people pleasers if we're honest. We're we're approval addicts if we're honest. You, know, you could be chained to your car. You could be chained to your past. Like, listen, what are you chained to? What is it that's got your attention? It's got your affection? What is it that's holding you back? Like, what are you chained to? You know, you will never experience the freedom until you answer this next question. Am I an heir or a slave? Am I an heir? Am I a slave? Quick little quick little easy test to help you know how you think about God and how you think about yourself. When you do something wrong, and and we all do, when you do something wrong, when you make a mistake, when you have a failure, what names do you call yourself? Like what voices do you hear in your mind? Is it things like, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that. Oh man, what an idiot then maybe you see yourself as a slave. Maybe you're held captive. Maybe you need to understand how God sees you. Does God see you do something wrong? Absolutely. Does grace cover it up? 100%, 100 out of 100 times. Are you a slave? Are you an heir? Let's pray together. So just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I know for some people you're just kind of wrestling with that. There's been a lot. Man, you just have so many memories. You have so many regrets. You have some shame and guilt that kind of works its way into your mind and you can't seem to get over. Um, Man, you've made some mistakes maybe even as a dad. And so today I just want to help you to be able to, to step into the full inheritance that God has for you today. Just to take a step to understand that you are an heir to God. You are a son or a daughter. You are someone of value. You're someone that God has picked. You're someone that God sent Jesus for. And if you would just experience that, I want to just help you to pray and to take a step in that direction. You know, some people just need to finally make, put a stake in the ground and say, hey, I'm done. I'm done playing, going through the rules. I'm done playing the game. I know the right things to say. I know the right things to do. But I, I really have just done them on the surface and they haven't changed and transformed my heart. And today you want that transformation. So I just want to lead you in a prayer to do that today. And, and if that's you, I'm just, just in your own heart, right where you are, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just, just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I trust that Jesus came to buy me back from the law. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to free me. Help me to experience the freedom that you promise. You know, and the Bible teaches us that when you do that, and that there's this, there's that God begins to live inside of you, that God begins to change and transform to mold and to shape your emotions and your motivations. It begins to set you free from sin and from some addiction and from some of the things in your past. It helps you live into a new way and a new life. And if that was you, it's so important. I just want to help you mark the moment. When we do this every service, and we always have someone who just begins their journey. So it's pretty normal here. So just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to invite you to do something very bold. I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand and just make eye contact with me. Man, nobody's looking. It's just me, you, and God will see, of course. But it's just a way for you to mark the moment so you don't have to keep living in slavery. On the count of three, one, two, three. Thank you. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. God, we're just grateful that we get freedom. Lord, it's better than July the 4th. Man, it's better than the Declaration of Independence. It's better than getting to vote. And it's better than having to follow some rules. And God, help us to never return there. Help us to never think that following Jesus is about the externals. God, help us to always remember it's about our heart and what our heart wants and the motivations that you give us. Lord, I pray you would just help us to be able to see and be reminded of the strength that comes of being adopted, with having the inheritance of eternity waiting for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate those who took a step today?